You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Russia retaliates with diplomatic expulsions and at least one consulate closure. Potential cyber operations remain a matter of concern. WannaCry hits a Boeing plant, but Boeing is resilient enough to work through the infection. A new keylogger pretends to be Kaspersky AV, but not very convincingly. Facebook works to upgrade user privacy, and Apple says it doesn't need to do the same. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 29, 2018. Russia has promised to retaliate in response to the more than 25 countries who have taken diplomatic measures to protest the Salisbury assassination attempts and has just begun to do so. Sputnik News is reporting this afternoon that Foreign Minister Lavrov has summoned U.S. Ambassador John Huntsman to inform him that Russia will match the U.S. expulsion of 60 Russian diplomats by sending an equal number of Americans home. The Russian government will also match the U.S. closure of the Seattle consulate by shuttering the American consulate in St. Petersburg. The Russian government had earlier expelled British diplomats and ordered the British Council to cease its activities in Russia. Other retaliation is expected. Kremlin representatives have been saying they reserve the right to respond at some appropriate time. Lavrov did say this afternoon that Russian action would mirror those taken by Western countries, so further tit-for-tat declarations of diplomats from other nations persona non grata are probably coming. Russia has denied any involvement in the Salisbury nerve agent attack, calling the evidence the UK has a hoax. Russian sources have also suggested the incident is either a British or an American provocation, aided and abetted by the Czech government, which Moscow hints could have provided stocks of Novichok nerve agent to the provocateurs. Essentially, no one believes this, but Sputnik is reporting that Foreign Minister Lavrov also said that Russia intended to convene an emergency meeting of the Organization for Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in what Russia calls a bid to start a dialogue and establish the truth. The Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the OPCW, is an intergovernmental group composed of the 192 signatories to the Chemical Weapons Convention. It's headquartered in The Hague and works to enforce chemical weapons control and non-proliferation measures. It's worth noting that as nuanced and lawyerly as Russian English language services such as Sputnik and RT have been, that country's domestic media have been a lot rowdier about the Salisbury incident as a cautionary tale of spies and turncoats getting their proper comeuppance. Why are we spending so much time on diplomacy? It's because of the degree to which cyber operations now interpenetrate international conflict and tension. The retaliation that most concerns Western countries, particularly the UK and the US, 
is the prospect of Russia executing a cyber attack against electrical power grids that's been long under preparation. There's other news related to tensions between Russia and the West, and it too occurred in England. Yesterday, Ecuador cut off WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange's internet access, saying he violated a written undertaking not to do things that would damage Ecuador's international relations. They yanked Assange's connection apparently for at least two reasons. He's been tweeting support for a Catalan separatist leader arrested in Germany to be handed over to Spanish authorities. And more significantly, he's also been tweeting in Russia's interest and against Britain's in the ongoing matter of the Salisbury nerve agent attacks. The proliferation of IoT devices continues at an ever-increasing rate, and many of those devices fall into the category of smart sensors, designed to measure or take a reading on something and report back what they know. Daryl Highland is research lead for IoT technology at Rapid7, and he joins us to share his views on smart sensors. So a smart sensor is uh, nothing more than some kind of device, whether it is a, a device for measuring blood pressure or blood sugar levels in somebody uh, and be able to communicate that data somewhere else. Or in the area of a, a smart city, it may be uh, in a lighting system uh, within the city that can actually detect uh, traffic movement as an example and be able to feed that information back into some kind of more higher level data analytics type system for making decisions within the environment. So basically it is a device uh, that has an embedded type technology that has the ability to detect, measure, and gather uh, pertinent pieces of information that could use, be used for further analysis somewhere else. And is the information flow from these devices generally in one direction? Uh, it varies. Uh, it really comes down to uh, uh, the type of sensor. Uh, in most cases, that happens to be the case. It is uh, purely an informational gathering type device, uh, but not always. Uh, there can be sensors that can take, uh, obviously, uh, various configuration changes or alterations uh, in that direction also, giving them the ability to be uh, reconfigured or modified or, uh, at a bare minimum, possibly firmware upgrades, things like that done to them. So obviously there are many benefits to having these devices, but uh, your research shows that there can be some vulnerabilities as well. Yes, you know, as as we start thinking about what these devices are used for, uh, it, it makes us want to stop and step back and think about it. You know, what is what is the impact if uh, issues or vulnerabilities arise in these devices when we're trying to deal with information that's gathered that could be confidential, or information that's gathered that's used to make uh, critical decisions. Uh, you know, what is the impact on confidentiality, you know, integrity, uh, or even availability? If somebody can take these devices offline with some kind of denial of service type attack, how does that impact us uh, based on how we're actually utilizing the technology? Can you give us some specific examples of uh, cases where this could be problematic? Uh, yeah, I, I guess an example would be uh, what if a smart city is using uh, sensor-based technology for uh, monitoring traffic flow within a city and making decisions uh, on that type of information uh, could easily lead to, uh, you know, major traffic jams, very difficult to get out of the city at the end of the day. 
things are not working right. Uh, the traffic flow isn't being able to be monitored, detected, uh, altered, uh, those type of things. Uh, uh, other examples could be uh, within the industrial environment where sensor-based technology is potentially used for uh, measuring and monitoring uh, equipment performance or uh, tank pressures or boiler pressures. What if that information is altered, uh, messed up, or not available? What's the potential hazard there? I mean, it could lead to uh, catastrophic failure of equipment, potentially uh, risk the life and limb. And of course, obviously, I guess in the medical community, that would be a real risk as well. I think what we're seeing with uh, some of the medical stuff is kind of fascinating. Uh, right now, uh, obviously, you can get kind of technologies that measure like blood pressures and uh, blood sugar monitors. I have a device that I can attach to me that I can use for monitoring uh, blood sugar uh, type levels in my body. So if those things aren't accurate... Uh, when it comes to a blood sugar example, it may lead to somebody who's a diabetic increasing their dosage of insulin when they didn't need to and potentially harm them. So uh, have you seen examples of people trying to exploit these sorts of things or is it uh, mostly theoretical at this point? I think there's been very little uh, done out there. I, I, I remember uh, some discussions on some lighting systems, uh, some research or some hacks that were done out there here uh, a couple years ago in reference uh, to those type of things. Uh, but right now, I think we're fairly early in the stage. The, the actual massive growth uh, in this area around, you know, smart cities and smart grids and industrial is just starting to explode now. So, so my train of thought is let's, let's, let's get our arms around how we're going to approach the security, how we're going to think about the security, how we're going to monitor, maintain and, uh, patch repair, uh, these type of vulnerabilities issues, uh, as they arise or how we're actually going to deploy the technology effectively now before it becomes, uh, so ingrained into everything we do, um, and we don't have the ability to make those uh, quick changes or fixes. That's Daryl Highland. He's from Rapid7. In other cyber news, WannaCry has resurfaced, infecting a Boeing 777 assembly line in South Carolina yesterday. Boeing says the infection has been contained, was minor, and didn't interrupt production. A new keylogger is circulating in the wild. Its discoverers, researchers at CyberReason, call it Fopersky because of the malware's rather lame attempt to impersonate a legitimate Kaspersky antivirus splash screen. Built on AutoHotKey, a legitimate tool, the malware is, according to CyberReason researchers, unsophisticated but efficient, with a large appetite for data and not much stealth. Drupal has issued a patch for a severe remote code execution vulnerability. Users are being urged to apply it as soon as possible. Observers think the bug likely to be exploited in the wild within a matter of days, if not hours. Facebook has pushed some new privacy tools, policies, and settings. Users will now be able to see their privacy settings, formerly spread over about 20 pages, on a single page. Facebook has also added an Access Your Information feature that displays all the information you've made accessible and to whom. The upgrades have received mixed reviews, with most observers taking the understanding view that, well, Facebook has to do something to restore the trust the Cambridge Analytica data scandal damaged. For its part, Apple has done some pardonable gloating, reminding everyone that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. CEO Tim Cook told MSNBC that, quote, the truth is we could make a ton of money if we monetized our customer, end quote, but unlike some others, they don't. 
When asked what he would do if he were Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Cook simply replied, I wouldn't be in this situation. And finally, congratulations to the people and companies honored this week by the Cybersecurity Association of Maryland. Regional awards went to Anne Arundel County's Bridges, Baltimore County's Syncopated Engineering, Baltimore City's own Sally Kenyon Grant of Point Three Security, and we add Friend of the Cyberwire, Frederick County's Patriot Technologies, Howard County's Envale, and Montgomery County's CoolSpan. In the general awards, the People's Choice Award, sponsored by Gula Tech Adventures, went to Dr. Emma Garrison-Alexander of the University of Maryland University College. The Anne Arundel Economic Development Corporation won recognition with the Industry Resource Award, and the Cybersecurity Champion of the Year went to Ellen Hemmerly of BW Tech at UMBC, the incubator at Research and Technology Park. Cyber Crucible was named the cybersecurity company to watch, and CSIOS Corporation took honors as Cybersecurity Defender of the Year. The Cybersecurity Innovator of the Year Award went to Howard County's Pride and Vale, specialists in protecting data at rest and surely a company to watch closely. And we're pleased to say that the Cybersecurity Diversity Award went to us, the CyberWire, in recognition of our diversity efforts and our Women in Cyber program. Thanks very much to Maryland Cyber for the honor, and special congratulations to our social media editor and community outreach director, Jennifer Iben, for her long and patient work. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire.
And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, welcome back. Um, we wanted to talk this week about uh, security conferences. RSA is coming up. And you have some tips for folks who might be heading off to their first conference. Uh, a little words of wisdom? Yes. Hey, uh, it's great to be back, David. Um, yeah, RSA is, is, is coming up very soon here. And, and you know, we, we, with a lot of experience, having uh, gone to many, many security conferences, um, and especially coming from the engineering side, I have some uh, recommendations for both the sales and marketing folks and the engineering folks. Mm. I, you know, the number one thing uh, that the sales and marketing folks always tell me, uh, David, is we've got to make sure we have all of our matching shirts and tennis shoes. Because if uh, we don't look the same, um, we're not going to be able to sell any products. So so make sure you've got your wardrobe figured out um, and, and your sales and marketing team have told you what you're going to be wearing. Yeah, critical, critical, freshly pressed and washed. That's exactly right. You know, but in, in all seriousness, um, a couple of, uh, you know, quick technical things. When you're going to a security conference, if it's not obvious, you want to be super aware of using Wi-Fi, even having your Bluetooth on. You know, make sure you're being, uh, you, you have your like cyber hygiene on steroids going uh, where you're, you're maybe not bringing your smartphone to the, to the conference floor. You're leaving that laptop in the, in the hotel room because you don't want hackers who are, you know, running rampant around these security conferences uh, getting into your devices. That would be a little bit embarrassing, I think. And you want to make sure you tell your sales and marketing folks the same thing. You know, some other things, it, just in general, what, what I find when I go to these large security conferences, the big booths with the big manufacturers, they're great. They've probably got the coolest uh, swag with T-shirts and stuff like that. But, but from a purely technical side, the place to go is the back of the room, those little bitty booths where the folks have literally spent their entire marketing budget to make it there. Is there some super interesting products, super interesting ideas? How about in terms of just pacing yourself? I, I think that you, especially for first timers, you walk onto that uh, show floor and it can be overwhelming. How do you even break down how, how to best uh, spend your time? You know, th th <laughs> that's a great question that, I, that I've kind of looked past because um, you're absolutely right. How do you break your time down? I always try to make two passes at whatever conference I go to. The first one just being a rundown, up and down the aisles, taking a look at who's there, who's interesting. And then, and then you know, I kind of make a game plan from there. And then I'll try to find some time later on in the conference, once people are in their groove, once that first like wave hits and, and it's broken, that's when I kind of go around uh, that second time, and I, I I walk a little slower. I make sure I'm talking to people because they're at that point they're looking to talk to you, and, and they have more time because there's not many people around. All right, good advice as always, David DeFore. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, 
John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.